along with me on your handout. We're going to look at a word of salvation today. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, He was on the cross for six hours. And while He was there, He said seven things. We talked about the first one last week, which is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so he, he, he prayed a prayer of forgiveness for his enemies and his mockers. Now we're going to look at some, this next thing he says, the second thing he says. Out of six hours, he said seven things that are very important. And they cover the whole gamut of our losses in life. And so we're going to look at how Jesus addresses our course, our need for salvation today. Now, hear the Word of God. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. There were two, one on one side, one on the other. The other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. May he add his blessing to tonight and write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Amen. So, one of the coolest things, I'm going to yell at you guys because I have no mic tonight, but one of the coolest things in literature, movies, whatever, is when you see an unexpected reversal in one of your characters, right? A guy who goes from being a bad guy to a good guy, an unlikely hero. And what we see in this text is an unlikely reversal. Um, if you know this, if you've read the Gospel in Matthew, it talks about these two characters who are crucified right next to Jesus. One on the right, one on the left. And it says, both of the criminals mocked him. Okay, so, so we see the good of this guy here, but he was just in the same boat as everybody else standing around the cross mocking Christ. They say, I mean, I'm not an expert on crucifixions, but, but you could look, I mean, like, you could look him up in, like, in the eye. Like, they're, they're really not, like, up in the air that much. You could look Jesus in the eye and really just get in his face and cuss him out, spit on him, mock him in all kinds of ways. And these guys are right there on the left and right looking at him and and cursing him. And so we see a stunning reversal in the hours that this man has been nailed to a cross next to Jesus. One of the guys continues on in his mocking saying, essentially, if you're so important, if you're God's son, if you're the Messiah or the Christ, why don't you save yourself and us? Dare, I dare you to, Jesus. Okay, knowing he can't do it because he doesn't believe in him. And then the other guy has had a total reversal in his heart. And I want to show you guys, through that stunning reversal, two things tonight. Two assumptions we bring that this stunning reversal shatters in our, in our hearts and our minds. Because like when we have a stunning reversal, I, my favorite stunning reversal in all of history or literature or entertainment was Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Okay, Hulk Hogan, if you know, is a wrestler. He was like the glorious good guy and then became a bad guy and then became a good guy again. But you can think of many more better ones than that one. So, but this guy becomes a good guy after being a bad guy, and sort of rebukes his, his um, partner in crime. And so the first thing this guy says, uh, first, guy, first thing we got to look at is pre-conversion. It's on your handout. 
pre-conversion, don't I need to be somewhat clean for God to relate to me? And then secondly, after our conversion, don't I need to justify my status with God by doing good stuff? These are assumptions that we bring to the table in religion. And that they're very dear to our hearts. And I'm serious that, the, that we could not believe or cherish any other things in life that would be any more Christian than that. Those are the two of the most unchristian things we could believe. One, that I have to be clean enough for God to relate to me. And two, that I have to keep doing good stuff in order to relate to Him rightly. Okay? That's more Christian. That's, like, I believe that's more anti-Christian than just saying Satan rules. Okay? Like, okay? So the most unchristian thing you could say is God only wants to deal with the people who are clean or somewhat clean already. And so, now we, we all sort of don't want to believe that statement. We, we even say we don't believe God deals with that in that way, but we all secretly believe that, in fact, that we've got to clean ourselves up pre-conversion to get to God. Now, I believe God allowed the events of Luke 23, what we just read, uh, right at the heart of the greatest event in human history where Jesus is dying uh, he, he allowed those events so that we, we could drink deeply of that, that our hearts could be open to it, and we could see His goodness, and that there are really no strings attached with Him. In order to come to Him and relate to Him, there are no strings attached. Um, think about, um, some of you have just pledged a sorority fraternity, okay? And you're, you're working through that. Um, you're new. Um, you know, you've just joined what, I don't know if you know this yet, but you've joined an elitist society, Okay, now, I love I love Greek life and Greek life is good, but it's an elitist society. You have to measure up to some standard to get accepted to this. Okay, and so as a pledge right now, you're still not in necessarily. You could still you're still on the fence, basically, until you are initiated. Then the pressure's off. Okay, you can do whatever the heck you want to at that point. It's kind of like being a professor and being tenured, right? But okay, now actually. You could probably work your way out of a fraternity or sorority relationship by just being bad, okay? You could probably make that happen, okay? In any relationship in this world, you can work yourself out of safety. Uh, safety with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, a professor uh, on campus. If you don't do your work, any other relationship you know in this life, even your parents, you could, you could send your, yourself out of their good graces. I mean, you see it happen all the time. Your brother or sister, you could, you could do something so bad that you could um, ruin it, okay? We know that. And so if you think about it, if you want to apply that to life, if you start not doing kind things and good stuff for your friends, then they'll start finding different friends, uh, and you won't be included on that. Like, friends have conditions, okay? Um, and, and you are able to, you and I are able to trick bodies of people into thinking we're okay and we're worth spending time with. We are. I mean, we are. We're all special and we all are, are great, but we have to actually be on a code of behavior in order to, to sort of work our way in. So for instance, um, if you want to join SIGEP, you probably can't be a Chinese woman, okay? That's like, gonna, you're going to be excluded from that, okay? Because Chinese women, like, you got to be a man, okay? So there's, like, there's baseline criteria. Um, I don't, is there, has there been a woman in SIGEP, is there? Okay. Yeah, it's like Masters, okay, the Masters, Augusta. Um, okay, so there's baseline criteria in life. And so um, the relief you're going to feel when you get initiated or chosen and says you're part of us is huge. 
it's similar to when you check your grades online and you get the grade you wanted, right? You survive so-and-so's class, so you upperclassmen, some of you freshmen sign up for the wrong class you don't know who to take yet. And so, but when you get through that hard professor and you realize I got the grade and so-and-so has no impact on my life at all, he cannot make my life hard anymore. And that's relief. And so that's how a lot of us view God. We want to do enough to where we cannot have him make our lives hard. Because um, none of us really believe we deserve like hell. Because uh, hell is for the big bads, you know, like people on like Dexter, okay, that kill people, um, like people that are bad, um, Hitler, Stalin, Bin Laden, Walter White, Justin Bieber, you know, those kind of guys. Um, <laughs> not us, okay? We're just regular, everyday, ordinary people, okay? And you're trying to make it through college, uh, you're trying to get a job, you're trying to make somebody like you so you can get married, uh, your parents are nice, they take decent care of you, a lot of you. Um, you're a pretty decent friend. Um, you're in the bell curve, like the 80%, 80% here, okay? You're normal, okay? You go to OU. Uh, we're all kind of alike, okay? With this mundane group of people, we're not that diverse, actually, if y'all think about it. We all had to get in here, and we're, we are what we are. So how is this thing of Jesus being crucified between criminals relate to you, you might think? These guys who have made a career of not fighting crime, but doing crime, okay? They're criminals. They were so bad that they were crucified. How does that show good news to you and me? Because behind the mundane, ordinary facade that we build up, we sculpt our public personas, um, lies the secret things that we've done that nobody knows and we're ashamed about. We're all sort of really criminals. Um, you know, we're not the ones who, who our roommates are maybe doing cocaine. We're not those people, okay? We're not those people yet. Or we haven't been dropping out because of that, because of God's extreme mercy, okay? We see those people, we hear those stories, and it's God's mercy that we're not the criminal or the one breaking the law and getting kicked out. So, we're in the same place, the same circle, the same university, and we've all got to deal with the losses and death uh, that he or she, that you know, it's having the rough times dealing with. Maybe that's you, but you're standing here uh, in this nice little outdoor Bible study with wind blowing in your hair, and God's brought you here. Uh, and there's mercy in that. You're here and you're hearing this. Uh, and just an aside, um, this Bible study is not for the clean kids, uh, the Christian kids. Um, Jesus, um, if his hands were available uh, to him in this text we read about, would be holding the hand of the other guy who's nailed to wood. Um, he, he'd be holding the hand of the guy who's reaching out to him, who was a criminal. Um, he was despised by his community and sentenced to the worst death imaginable, crucifixion. It was heinous. And so Jesus' last friend was a crucified criminal. How, what, let's let that, let that wash over you. Jesus' last friend, the last person he spent time talking with and building a relationship with in a very short time, was a crucified criminal. Uh, you can see throughout Jesus' checkered history of relating to sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus had to always explain to people that he came to save the lost, to seek and save the lost. And he came not to be with the clean, but the unclean. And so, you know, there's, there's a story about Jesus uh, dealing with uh, a tax collector and welcoming a tax collector into his, into his uh, disciples. And, and everyone's saying, well, doesn't the teacher know who he's dealing with here? And he says, I'm not here for the well, I'm a physician, I'm here for the sick. 
Again, he came to seek and save the lost. And so that's good news if we know we're lost. Okay, if we know that we don't have to clean ourselves up to relate to God, uh, that's good news for us, that we can be open with who we are towards God and come forward to Him. And so the next thing here I want to ask is, is what is the difference between guy on the right by Jesus and guy on the left? Okay, there's a, there's a criminal on both sides. Jesus there, He was crucified between two criminals. Um, two things, actually. One, the first guy who rebuked the other one knew he was lost. He knew he was unclean. He knew he was condemned justly. But the second, the second thing here is that his eyes were open to the fact that Jesus was innocent. He was dying a death for other people. And he sees that for himself. And that the death of Jesus is not final. And that his death can, in a sense, overcome his own imminent death. Now, think about that question. He says, look, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, you know, welcome me. You know, like, welcome me when you come in your kingdom. And so he has an idea through this experience with Jesus that, that this death is not the end. He's understanding there's something else to come. There's a kingdom coming even though Jesus is about to die right next to him. And so he's discerned that Jesus is a king of grace, a king of mercy. And he saw the way Jesus behaved for all this time, forgiving people, praying for his enemies, people gambling for his garments. And so the criminal says, I need forgiveness, and I think there's grace for me in Jesus. And so the other criminal does not see that. And so, like, they saw the exact same thing, the exact same events right before their eyes. One saw it, one didn't. Um, and, and, like, we see that all the time. Maybe you've seen it, or maybe you're having a hard time seeing it, seeing that Jesus is good and full of grace. And so I want to talk about just a little bit about the nature of faith and repentance. Um, faith, y'all, is not just believing in Jesus, that He existed. I mean, both criminals had that. Both saw Him, that He existed. They saw Jesus actually was right next there to, him, to them and, and made bold claims. But only one was affected by Jesus. Only one believed in Jesus and trusted Him and actually asked Jesus for something. The other one just mocked. His intellect was affected. Okay, He started to ask questions and pursue Jesus. And so when we talk about repentance, repentance is a big fancy word for turning away from sin and turning towards God. Repentance is not just feeling bad. Repentance is not, not merely an intellectual work, but it's that your intellect, your, your mind has been affected by the presence of God. This man was in the presence of a whole new thing. He had never seen anyone like this. He saw God in Jesus, the fullness of God in Jesus. And so in the presence of Jesus, only one criminal was affected. And he threw his whole weight in who Jesus is. He put his neck out there. Now, men, women, have y'all ever asked anybody out? Like I just asked you, I mean like some of you have. Okay, that's a terrifying experience. Is it not terrible? The most nervous I've ever been was asking my wife to marry me. Okay, like I knew she was going to say yes. Where is my wife? She's gone again. Change another diaper. Okay, so, but, so, we, she obviously said yes. We have, we're married 11 years, four kids. I knew she was going to say yes, but my heart was pounding with the magnitude of that decision. Because I'm laying it all out there, my neck's out there, and she could stomp on it. She could say no. And in a, in a, in a, in a, in a minimal way, that's what asking a, a girl or a guy out is, uh, is you're putting yourself out there and you're going all in. You're saying, let's do this. Another person has the power to crush you. And so this guy exercised faith and repentance. He said, will you remember me when you come in your kingdom? 
And Jesus, of course, could have pretended like he was asleep. Jesus, of course, could have said no. He could have said, you don't deserve it. You are terrible. I don't want people like you in my kingdom. But he didn't. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so that's the first thing, guys. He did not turn away a terrible person. He welcomed him. People, like Sometimes you feel like, man, I wish I could just crawl in a hole and I don't want people to know who I am. But in that, Jesus himself runs towards you and says, you can be in my kingdom and it's because of my cross. And you think about that, how is that just? That this guy asked one time in his life, kind of forgive me, Jesus. He didn't say forgive me. He just said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, sure. How can Jesus do that? I mean, because there's a lot of better people out there. Why can, how can Jesus justify showing mercy to somebody like this and somebody like me and you? Well, the, the key is the thing called justification is that when Jesus was dying on a cross, he was offering up salvation for anyone who would believe. Salvation's for you today. And the reason why that can be possible is because Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. And he died the death that we couldn't die. He died the death that the criminal couldn't die for himself. He bore, he's gonna, we're going to see this semester, that he bore hell upon the cross so that Christians, so that anyone who, who like, is a believer in Jesus will never have to bear that. He bore it so we wouldn't have to die. He killed death by dying death for us. And that's what it's all about, y'all. So God's here, Jesus. He sees Jesus. This is what God is like. He's not, like, I don't know if y'all, I, when I was growing up, I thought God was like, you know the character from Legos, or Lego movie, uh, played by Morgan Freeman? That's what I thought God was like. You know, gray beard, like fiery eyes, kind of powerful, deep voice. You know, that kind of person. Or maybe like Santa Claus in the sky, gives me what I want. You know, he's kind of like, had these ideas of God. Like maybe throwing down lightning bolts, uh, maybe a powerful monster, this unapproachable light I can't even understand. But God here is right there on a cross. He was born in a manger to go and die for the sins of the world. And Jesus had to do that for me. And he says to me, I'll see you in paradise. Justin, you've been a scurrilous rascal your whole life. And I'm going to save you. You don't need anything else but this. Okay? So that's the second thing. Pre-conversion, we don't need to be clean to get to Him. But post-conversion, we don't need to jump through hoops and kind of show ourselves good by doing good stuff for God. We don't need that. We don't need to prove ourselves anymore. You think about this guy. He says, today, I will see you in paradise. That's still good for anybody. And so you could take all of your... you could. Fried it out all year, all you know, four years, go crazy. You can go crazy your whole life, um, and then have this deathbed repentance, you know, and that would be enough because it's absolutely not about thank you, it's not about your um, works, but it's about God for you. Jesus works for you. That's the gospel the gospel for the unclean, the lost, and the sick. And so, only you can really imagine just how lost you are, uh, and, and you need Him. Um, you know that, and so. Jesus is saying, also note this, He says that today you will be with me in paradise. And just think about that. That, like, I've always thought about God sort of as like, kind of like, kind of like, okay, we're going to let Justin in, but like, he's barely getting in. I'm going to like, cross my arms and tap my foot and be like, okay, he's in, okay. He said the magical words, I believe in you, Jesus. 
forgive me my sin, but he's really not happy with me. Okay, like, I'm not doing enough. Okay, like, so look, I'm not doing enough, you're not doing enough, and so like, is God really excited that any of us are going to heaven with him? Well, I think he is. I think he's saying here that heaven is not heaven unless you're with me. He's not saying that heaven's not heaven, heaven would not be heaven if you're not here. Because I died for you and I'm bringing you with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. He's saying salvation today is for you. And I need you with me in paradise. Paradise is not paradise unless you're with me. I know you've been on those trips where somebody got sick and couldn't go. And that like the trip was terrible because that person couldn't go. Uh, when, when like, like You being with Jesus is part of the plan. Okay, You, if you're in Christ, it's part of the plan. He's dying for you. He knows you when he goes across. Your track, your track record is not worthy, but he's giving you a bid anyway. Think of a fraternity or sorority like gave bids to all the messes on campus, all the worst on campus, all the, the worst, the worst, the kid that cannot get it together. Jesus is doing that, and he's excited about that because he's changing us. Jesus on the cross, crucified between two criminals, shatters every expectation about what he'd be like, every assumption about what we need to be clean. Or how we need to keep jumping through hoops. Okay, we jump through hoops all the time. Every human relationship we have is conditional. But our relationship with God through Jesus is unconditional. Okay. Um, Alright, so. Uh, let me just uh, wrap it up with this. We all have poor resumes. He makes us right. Jesus crucified between two thieves. It's not hard to get in with Jesus. It's not hard to get into paradise. It's not the Boston Marathon. You don't have to qualify for it. It's the neighborhood 5K. All you've got to do is say, hey, I want this. I want, I want, I would love paradise. I'd love to be with you, Jesus. Forgive me. That's all it takes um, to, to, to get that. And so if that's true, what difference does that make for you? I want to just a few things. One, we can stop feeling like we've got to prove ourselves to everybody we meet. It gives us all kinds of comfort to know that God accepts me based on Jesus. Two, um, you can forgive yourself for failing um, because Jesus does. You can forgive yourself. Um, Three, uh, we can admit we're a mess and we may be a mess until Jesus returns. That's true. There are things we're not going to be able to conquer uh, apart from his grace. Uh, Four, we can begin to believe that Jesus wouldn't believes that heaven would not be heaven without me in it. He dies for me to save me. I'm a part of that. I'm in. If I'm in, I can stop obsessing about myself and start obsessing about somebody who would do that for me. Jesus himself. Five, um, if we believe all these things, wouldn't that launch us into following Jesus no matter the cost? This guy is going to waste his last breath while he is struggling on a cross to breathe to say, Jesus, remember me. And then, you know what that's going to do? That's going to turn scorn from guy who's, who's mocking Jesus on the other side and everybody else is around mocking Jesus right back on that guy. He's exposing himself to being mocked along with Jesus by saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Like as he's crying out, crucified, he looks like a fool trusting in this crucified criminal Jesus. Um, you and I, when we've discovered that, will look like fools sometimes. And so, would it, so a few hypotheticals. Um, would it really matter what people think about you in that situation? Would it matter if you spent a game day weekend doing mission work? That makes me want to vomit, actually. I love game day weekends at OU. 
But like, if there was an opportunity to do something awesome, would we be able to do that? I think we might. Um, what if we decided to go on a mission trip for part of spring break? Um, that's a good thing to do. Uh, what if we decided to know somebody who doesn't look like us and sound like us and, and how to seek to understand that person? Because Jesus came for the lost and unclean like me. If, if people really knew us, we would look very disturbing to them. Uh, finally, if you're starting to consider this stuff for the first time, I, I, I beg you to ask questions. Uh, Jesus is really full of grace, and he's, he's here for the religious, the non-religious, the convinced, the unconvinced. It's not religion. It's a Savior. It's Jesus. Um, he's a person, and he wants to be in a relationship with you and me and all of us. And so he wants to lead all of us into a life of freedom and liberty. And so we've got to ask that question uh, of Jesus, will, he, will you remember me? Uh, we've all got to sort of ask that question. Have we asked that question? Will you remember me? And have we, in desperation, said, I've got nothing else. I'm going to go and follow Jesus and ask this question of him and go all in with him. We've all got to do that. And so we've got to, we've got to ask the Jesus crucified between two thieves to remember us also. We're just like that thief. So we'll close with that. Uh, we'll answer some questions if there are some, and we'll end it there. Let's pray real fast before we do that. Uh, Father, help us to articulate um, questions we have um, to you. And would, would you, as, as we are struggling to believe some of these things, uh, would, would you help us to uh, boldly ask you to uh, flood us with your light, with your spirit, and teach us, we pray. Uh, and as we uh, think about these criminals uh, on the cross, would we be able to, to, to cry out with the same uh, conviction and faith in you that, that, that this one had. Uh, and and would we no longer be mockers, but we'd be believers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.